You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Spear phishing is catching on after the Twitter hack. Taiwan blames China for hacking government agencies. Fritz Frog Botnet is crypto mining for now. Whoever's behind Golden Spy is trying to cover their tracks. Wasted locker ransomware is successful without stealing data. The U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence releases its final report on Russian interference with the 2016 election. Joe Kerrigan looks at shady SIM cards. Our guest is Nathan Jones from White Canyon Software on secure data destruction. And an AI company exposes millions of medical records. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. The phone-based phishing caper that enabled takeover of more than 100 high-profile Twitter accounts is apparently serving as a template for other attacks. Wired reports that a growing number of organizations are experiencing similar copycat approaches with varying but disturbing degrees of success. Zero Fox sees the uptick in vishing attacks affecting not only corporations, but social media influencers as well. Like the Twitter hack, these attacks seem to be launched by young English-speaking troublemakers organizing on Discord and shady forums. But Zero Fox says their techniques are so effective that organizations should prepare to see these tactics deployed by more sophisticated criminals and state-sponsored groups. Voice phishing, also called vishing, isn't new, but in the past it's primarily been used against mobile carriers in SIM-swapping attacks. This recent wave of vishing attacks is more wide-ranging and often involves convincing a victim to enter their credentials on a spoofed login page. Zero Fox recommends a mix of training, policy, and technical defenses. Quote, Training and education, monitoring and preemptive blocking of problem domains, SSO auditing, and employing role-based access best practices for internal panels. End quote. Authorities in Taiwan have blamed two Chinese government hacking groups, Black Tech and Taidor, for cyber attacks against at least 10 Taiwanese government agencies, Reuters reports. 
The Taiwan Investigation Bureau's Cybersecurity Investigation Office said the actors had access around 6,000 government email accounts in campaigns that started as early as 2018. Reuters says the victims included at least four Taiwan tech companies that had been providing information services to the government. Gardacore has found a peer-to-peer Linux botnet, FritzFrog, which it describes as sophisticated, fileless, evasive, proprietary, and aggressive. It has attempted to brute-force tens of millions of IP addresses using an extensive dictionary and has succeeded in breaching over 500 SSH servers, including those of known high-education institutions in the U.S. and Europe, and a railway company. The Fritz Frog malware operates completely in memory and doesn't attempt to survive reboots, but it leaves a public SSH key as a backdoor, enabling the attackers to return at their leisure. The malware could potentially be used to deliver a range of payloads, but so far seems to have, for the most part, been engaged in cryptojacking systems to mine Monero. The botnet seems to be unique, which is why the researchers call its code proprietary, although it bears some minor similarities with another P2P botnet known as Rakos. Trustwave's Spider Labs reports finding five versions of an uninstaller for the Golden Spy backdoor carried by tax software whose use is required of companies doing business in China. The uninstaller was dropped by an update module to erase Golden Spy before deleting itself. Trustwave believes the uninstallers were deployed by those behind the Golden Spy backdoor to cover their traces. The actors issued modified versions of the uninstallers, which Trustwave says were specifically designed to evade our Yara rules we published. The researchers conclude that their findings, quote, should serve as a wake-up call for organizations because it proves any actions, including implanting and extracting malware, can be taken covertly and at the will of the attacker, with the help of the updater module without impacting the functionality of the Golden Tax software. End quote. Researchers at Menlo Security warn of an ongoing attack campaign dubbed Dury that's using HTML smuggling and JavaScript blobs or binary large objects to download malware onto devices. The malware itself isn't new, but it was previously delivered via Dropbox download links. The attackers have switched to other cloud hosting providers and added the HTML smuggling technique to evade detection. Securonix released a report on the wasted locker ransomware attributed to the Evil Corp cybercriminal group. The researchers say the ransomware's operators have been effective at extracting multi-million dollar ransoms in targeted attacks. The ransomware has hit more than 31 organizations, eight of which were Fortune 500 companies. The researchers also confirmed that Wasted Locker's operators don't appear to exfiltrate data for the purpose of extortion, although they could easily add this capability in future attacks. The U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence has released the final volume of its report on Russian interference with the 2016 election. It found that President Putin directed the campaign and set its goals, generally disruptive but specifically anti-Clinton, and that despite troubling behavior by sometime Trump consigliere Paul Manafort, there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russian intelligence services, and that the FBI made loose and careless use of the retrospectively implausible Steele dossier. Democrats emphasize Manafort's counterintelligence problems. Republicans point out that the FBI didn't exactly cover itself with glory in the investigation. 
Secure Thoughts reports that artificial intelligence company SenseAI exposed 2.5 million medical records and PII, including names, insurance records, medical diagnosis notes, and much more. The data were left in two folders stored at the same IP address as Sense's website. The information appears to be related to individuals who had been in car accidents and received neck or spinal injuries. The databases were secured on July 8th after Sense was notified by a security researcher, but the company hasn't yet commented on or disclosed the matter. And finally, the New York Times reports that President Trump said Monday he would pardon a very, very important person on Tuesday. Who it was going to be, he refused to tell, but he did explicitly say that it wouldn't be Edward Snowden. It turns out it was Susan B. Anthony. Mr. Snowden and others will have to wait their turn. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. We routinely discuss the many ways organizations go to great lengths to protect their data, using everything from encryption to multiple off-site backups. But what if you need to destroy data to delete it and make sure it's gone for good? For more on that, we turn to Nathan Jones from White Canyon Software for his insights on secure data destruction. So if you go back into the 70s, 80s, and 90s, Almost every uh, every use case was for physical destruction. Whenever you were getting rid of your old laptops, desktop servers, you would just uh, physically destroy those drives. And we found that that was being that was being obviously quite wasteful and unnecessary in a lot of cases. So this it, it really came about because we were looking for a better solution than just destroying everything and everything ending up in a landfill. 
So uh, take us through some of the reasons why securely wiping a drive is better than physically destroying it. It has, it has a lot to do with the audit report that's generated as part of the process. So a lot of what you're, a lot of what you're having to do is to prove that, you, uh, that the data is secure. And part of what the software does is it creates an audit report that says this drive with this unique identifier was wiped at this spec. It started at this time and ended at this time. And then it was performed by this technician. It was done in this location. So that report gives you the context of everything that was done to that drive, when, where, how, all the important information about that. And that's required for meeting standards like HIPAA and NATO and GDPR, where you're trying to meet the the requirements that are on you from a regulatory standpoint. So that report is actually quite impossible to do with a physical destruction. So part of the erasure solution is that we're, we're doing this via a secure application where we're going through and we're capturing all this information we're, we're encrypting the audit reports, so it's impossible to spoof these, uh, these reports. So just from a, from a compliance standpoint, it's a far superior solution. But what about just the, the notion of, of not having so much uh, waste end up in the landfills? Absolutely, and that's, and, and, but you got, you got to make sure you've checked the boxes on the security side and on the compliance side, but then that's the most compelling reason after the security side is that these devices that are two, been working in a data center for a couple of years, they could have a second and a third life. And realistically, a lot of these drives, you know, 90% of them plus are still in great shape. They don't have any remapped sectors. You know, they, they still have 90% of their, of their life left. So these drives that are coming from these giant data centers could then have a second life in, a, in more of a mid-range uh, system where these companies aren't quite aren't wanting to pay top dollar for the top of the line equipment, but they, these, could be, these could be repurposed or reused. And when we're talking about laptops and desktops, hey, they could be going to schools or, or libraries. That's Nathan Jones from White Canyon Software. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting article from Vice, uh, another one from Joseph Cox. Uh, this one is titled, The Secret Sims Used by Criminals to Spoof Any Number. Yep. What's going on here, Joe? So there are these uh, providers of SIMs out there, SIM being the uh, network card that you put into your phone. Uh, and 
these are being called uh, Russian SIMs or encrypted SIMs or white SIMs. Uh, and some of the features of this SIM allow you to change the phone number that you're calling from. So when you make a call, you have uh, caller ID information that gets sent along, uh, and it looks like that information can be changed on these SIMs so that when you hmm. make the call, it, you're essentially spoofing a different call uh, phone number you're calling from. Hmm. And so the way these SIMs are working is that the providers are basically buying up access in bulk to other people's networks? Right. That's uh, that's how this a lot of these uh, SIMs work. Like Google Fi works this way as well. And the article says that these are called Mobile Virtual Network Operator. And they have a really great a- acronym here, the MVNO. All these cell phone terms get uh, boggle my mind, Dave. Uh, <laughs> but essentially what it is, is you're, you're piggybacking off the existing infrastructure of another provider uh, like T-Mobile or AT&T or Verizon. And you're striking an agreement with them. And there are a lot of different uh, different companies that do this and they all do them. Like I think TrackPhone does this as well. Um, in fact, I know TrackPhone does this and, uh, and Mint Mobile does this. A lot of prepaid companies do this and they they make money by selling essentially reselling the existing network's phone services uh, mm-hmm. for a premium. You know, if it's a prepaid card, it's it's something that you're you're uh, you know maybe you can't go out and get a, a regular phone contract, so you have to get a prepaid phone. Uh, there's a cost associated with that as well. Uh, Google Fi actually is is fairly inexpensive. You can get that service starting at around twenty bucks a month. Plus, uh, they charge you for data. But if you don't use data, you can get pretty good phone service for around 20 bucks a month. But what these people are claiming is that their system is built on top of these other systems, but it's more secure and the information is encrypted and they let you spoof phone numbers. And they also, the SIMs also have the capability of augmenting your voice so you can uh, disguise your voice, hmm. which is yeah, that's interesting. interesting to me. I, I, I would not have guessed that that capability was... Built into a sim. Uh, So I I don't, I'm not sure what's behind that, but that's an interesting uh, tidbit for sure. I mean, I I guess the the point here is, or the the, the danger uh, is that, for example, if I buy one of these and I uh, spoof my my phone numbers being from, say, a a bank, a local bank, or or any major service provider. So if I called you up and you looked at your phone and it said, oh, it's my. My M and T bank is calling me, or Verizon's calling me. Right. Um, that's a great first step into some sort of social engineering issue. Absolutely, it's a it's a it's a great way to 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 uh, to break that first barrier of getting the phone call answered. Right. What's interesting is that, at least in the U.S., this kind of works when uh, when when people spoof phone numbers. The the caller ID system looks up the phone number and then uh, displays the actual company. That is calling you, right? right? So we hear about this, and uh, we talk about this over at Hacking Humans. Somebody is calling, purporting to be from like Verizon. I think you even had this happen with your your father, right? Somebody mm. was mm-hmm. spoofing Verizon's yep. phone number, and it came up as they were Verizon on, right. on the on the phone call. So just spoofing the number is enough to fool the caller ID system. There's probably some technical solution there that needs to be implemented, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, um, yeah. That that's got to be verified. Uh, so, yeah, that's, it's a great way to, like I said, break that first barrier of getting the phone call answered. Um, these things are not cheap. This Vice article has a picture of, of costs in here. Uh, 
So get a prepaid card that works worldwide for one week and functions for one week, $150. Hmm. But if you want one that works for six months, that's only $250. But uh, even that's kind of expensive, I think. But it, towards the end of the article, they talk about um, how these things are being used to evade law enforcement, but they're not entirely effective. Uh, you know, you still have to connect to a, a network and you still have to make phone calls and you, and you still might be connecting to a Stingray device, even though you might not be making your call over that device. It says mm-hmm. you, may, uh, you may actually give away your location on it. Um, right. They quote somebody in here who says, you cannot be invisible on the mobile network. That's just not possible. And they also make a point that it's it's really hard to protect yourself against a government that's very upset with you. <laughs> it's the way they put it in here. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, I guess, the, one of the attractive things to folks who may not be up to uh, good things is the sort of don't ask, don't tell kind of uh, way that they're selling these. They don't, right. they don't really require any information from you. You can buy one of these pretty much anon- anonymously, plug it into your phone, and, and you're in business. Right, exactly. And that's, that's one of the things that these, all these websites are saying is that, you know, just send us a Bitcoin, we'll send you the device. In fact, in this article, they sent uh, $100 in Bitcoin to somebody and they got that SIM card the next day. Um, <laughs> you know, that's service. Yeah, that's service, exactly. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, uh, again, it's over on uh, Motherboard, written by Joseph Cox. The title is The Secret Sims Used by Criminals to Spoof Any Number. Uh, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.